If you like our podcast and you want to help support the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Also, you can donate to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash what's happening, or you can donate to us directly via PayPal. All those links can be found in the show notes. And now, it's time to know what's happening. Yeah. Hey, what's happening? This is Shane, and it's just me. I'm sorry. I know you love watching Nico and me, but it's just me. Sorry. Anyway, um, <laughs> I'm here with the great Scott Horton. Uh, how's it going, man? What are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me again, Shane. Good to talk to you. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so I wanted you on because, uh, like I was saying before we recorded, I'm pretty sure we mentioned the uh, this whole Russian bounty story on our podcast, but we didn't really dive deep into it. Mm-hmm. And I know that you wrote an article about it at uh, antiwar.com. And I'll just kind of share it with everyone here just to let people know what it is and where it's at. So it's at antiwar.com. It's called the Russian bounties hoax and don't believe the hype. Mm-hmm. And so there's I'll a couple read- of blog entries there too. Yeah. Yeah. Antiwar.com slash blog. I have a couple of more follow-ups there. Okay. Um, so I'll just, I'm just going to read a little bit from it and then we'll kind of go from there. Sure, uh, there's no reason for you to accept the story about the Russian military paying Afghan militants to kill American troops in Afghanistan. The New York times, wall street journal, Washington post all started this controversy late last week, uh, with incredibly thin stories. They did not even pretend to claim that it was true. The Russians had put bounties on us troops only that they had Anonymous sources who claimed there was a government report somewhere that said that they were reporting the fact that there was a rumor. And that's just the opening uh, paragraph there. Um, so it just seems like with this whole thing, it just, you know, oh, uh, someone said to me from the grapevine that there there was some Russian bounties or whatever put on uh, or the, the Russians had put bounties on U.S. soldiers or something mm-hmm. like that. It would, yeah, it's like it would be like if I heard you and Nico discussing, hey, man, did you hear? I know a guy who said that there's a thing going on with the thing. And then I write in the newspaper that it is a fact right. that Shane and Nico were talking about this. Right. And then so I'm smuggling the story about the bounties in as though it's true. When the only thing that I'm really saying is true is that somebody is talking about whether it might be true. <laughs> right. And right. so, um, but yeah, it's obviously it's a cheat, right? It's a way to go ahead and write the story without having any proof of it. And then if you look at the headline, which of course all the rest of the media did as in the last two weeks, the way this is all played out, the, you know, experience of the rest of the media was, Oh my God, did you hear that? It's a fact that this is a true thing that happened. And then that's it. And so all those caveats don't count. But yeah. if you go back to the original article and read it, and this is true for the New York Times, which they really let it, Charlie Savage and Eric Schmidt and a few others at the New York Times, and then they were matched by Warren Strobel and a team at the Wall Street Journal, and then the Washington Post, too. You read all three of those stories, and they're all full of, like, if confirmed, this might mean that, you know, this would mean this, it would mean that. And, and in fact, the New York Times story says, would this, would that, all over the place. Hmm. 
in other words, clearly conceding that we don't know that it's true. We only know that it's a thing that could be true. And so we'll get back to you essentially. And then, but, and we'll get back to it, but note the three biggest and most important newspapers in America all covered this at the same time. And that's not accident, but we'll get back to that part in a second. But it, that was the way that they all tackled it. Okay. And they didn't even describe the intelligence. They admitted that there's no connection to any particular dead American in the Afghan war that we can tie this to. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing was just essentially full of nothing. But then came the follow-up stories. Okay. So there were follow-ups and the first follow-up was in the New York times saying, okay, well, here's what the actual story is. And that's that there's this guy named Azizi and he used to work for the United States. He, he built a highway for the United States and he got caught and he, and he's a small time drug dealer. And some of his people were raided. And at first they said the Afghan government raided the Taliban <laughs> and found this money. But then it turned out, no, they didn't raid the Taliban. They raided people connected to this guy who they want to say are suspected to have links to the Taliban or something. Now we're way off the field. And now instead of this information even coming from the Americans, now we're finding out that, no, the information is only coming from the Afghan government. And so Afghan interrogators, the Afghan, uh, you know, security forces uh, busted these people and then came to the United States and said, guess what? We interrogated these people and they said that the reason that they're killing Americans is because they got money from the Russians. But so the source was the Afghan government, not the actual people who were interrogated. They were never interrogated by the United States or, or their claims vetted by the United States themselves. And they claim that this guy's gone. He must be in Russia, but they don't demonstrate that he's in Russia. And then their story is completely inconsistent. They say, well, he would use the Hawala system to transfer this money. Well, the Hawala system is, it's sort of like a network of, <clears throat> of trust of bankers, right? So if say, for example, you got, I'm in Austin and you guys are in Dallas and a guy um, in, I'm trying to, uh, somebody's trying to move money from Austin to Dallas. Well, they come to me and they go, uh, you know, I want to send $40,000 to my friend in Dallas. I call you and I say, Shane, give him 40,000. I owe you. Hmm. Right. But I don't ever transfer you the money. Right. That's the Hawala system. Now you and me have this outstanding debt to deal, but you go ahead and give the $40,000 to my customer's contact. And then the next time you need $40,000 from me, I owe you one. Right. So that's the Hawala system. Well, so then if that's true, then First of all, why has he got to go to Russia in the first place to get the money? And then secondly, why has he had the money at his house? If it's all the Hawala system and the, the money would go directly to the people who are getting paid for doing the deed. And then meanwhile, again, they admit that they have no connection to any particular death of any particular American. And hilariously, this uh, reporter for the New York Times, uh, I think her last name is Kalamachi. I forgot exactly how to pronounce her first name. But she went on MSNBC and did an interview where she elaborated and said that the money that was coming from Russia to whoever it was coming to, which she conflates with the Taliban, 
the money was just coming and it wasn't connected to any particular violent act and no no violent acts against american forces were being reported back to the russians and then when there weren't any deaths of americans the money kept coming anyway so as scott ritter put it okay great lady but that's not how a bounty works okay that's not a bounty you're saying that what you think is true is that money was coming from russia to the taliban but that's a million miles from as bounties on the heads of american soldiers and then um to to uh, well <clears throat> out of chronological order but another confession uh that they ended up saying in the new york times and i guess another uh two or three articles later was that actually they think that these people who they think are connected to the Taliban have met with some Russians, but they don't know what was said. Hmm. They don't know that it means that it had anything to do with any bounties or anything like that. They were looking at one roadside bombing near the Bagram Air Base to see whether maybe that had a connection. In other words, they were starting with the story and then they were looking for violent acts that they could try to connect to it because they could not follow the chain of events to any attack on any Americans at all. They admitted it. And they finally admitted, well, first the Wall Street Journal had the NSA came out and said, well, we don't believe in it. We can't confirm that. We don't think that's true. Hmm. Same guy, Warren Strobel, the same guy that wrote the lie in the Wall Street Journal turned around and said, well, my NSA sources are telling me I'm wrong. Oops. Really? Wow. Yeah. And then the DIA refused to confirm and then the New York Times themselves admitted, okay, well, the leaders on this are the CIA, and they only give it medium confidence, aka moderate confidence. And what does moderate confidence means? It uh, mean it means could be true, but not confirmed. Hmm. That's it. It means we heard that, and we, you know, we don't immediately dismiss it. That's as strong as of uh, support as the CIA can give it. Meanwhile. The military and the National Security Agency, who have access to every packet on the planet, every one and zero on the planet when it comes to especially money and phone calls between Afghanistan and Russia, for example, uh, they gave it low confidence. In other words, they reject this, refuse to confirm it at all. And by now, the story's completely fallen apart. And if you look at the blog at the Libertarian Institute right now, You'll see where I quote an editorial from the New York Times where they ask like the rhetorical question was this. In fact, here I have it right here. Uh, let me get it right instead of wrong. <laughs> was the intelligence tweaked by people seeking to hinder efforts to withdraw American troops? Hmm. Hmm. Uh-huh. Well, it's your newspaper that published five, eight stories in a row trying to push this tale. Yeah. And now at the end of that, the editorial board asked the rhetorical question, is the CIA jerking Charlie Savage's chain? Yeah, well, maybe we need to know that, huh? Maybe you can assign Charlie Savage to do an investigative report to find out whether they handed him this pile of crap <laughs> in order to thwart the president from pulling our troops out of the war. And just like every single Russiagate scandal, Shane, every single one of them, it was bullshit. Yeah. Every part of it. 
Not one accusation against Russia this whole time has been true. Not none of it. They didn't hack the DNC. The Facebook ads thing, that was just a troll farm. That wasn't the Russian government trying to sway an election. That's just a troll farm getting clicks by selling bullshit to Trump supporters. Pope endorses Trump. Click here, you dummy, and I make 50 cents. That's it, you know? And and then that, and then that's it. All of the rest of the accusations, everything about Papadopoulos and Page and Sessions and Flynn and everything that the Russians supposedly did to hack the state's uh, voter rolls and party registrations and the Vermont uh, uh, heating network uh, and everything, every bit of it. The secret server communicating as the back channel communicator from the Alpha Bank to for, between Trump and the Russians. I mean, these people, <clears throat> now the CIA were pushing these lies, the piss tape, all the steel dossier lies, all this stuff. But the media believed this. You know, Franklin Four, who's now at the Atlantic, he wrote a giant thing for Slate. And, and the liars had shot this story around and around and around and around, and no one would take the bait. And finally, Franklin Four took the bait and wrote this article. Oh, Trump has a secret server secretly communicating with the KGB, and that's how he's getting his secret orders to, mm -hmm. you know, his, for his treason to take over America and all this stuff. Meanwhile, what was it? It was a fucking Trump Hotels spam bot. That was emailing the world, come and stay at Trump hotels and stain our sheets and waste your money. And that was it. Nothing, nothing. And they ran with a thousand of those. They had a thousand and one fake little stories of Donald Trump's treason. None of it was true. But then to the people who were predisposed to believe it and got caught up in it, when the Mueller report came out and essentially exonerated the entire Trump campaign and the president himself for collusion with Russia, they didn't notice. They were told by liberal leaning media that, aha, look at this tiny little scrap of something that I can twist to pretend that I was still right. Yeah. And then, so they never even had to have a comeuppance and admit that the Russiagate thing was wrong. Even a year after the Mueller report proved that it was. And then, so now when the CIA comes out in the New York times, with this accusation that Russia did a thing and Trump refused to do anything about it. That was the narrative. They fall for it. Hook, line, and sinker. They just CIA, New York Times comes out and just jerks their chain. Just like nothing has ever happened in your lifetime before. Like you just fell right off the turnip truck. Wow. The CIA is anonymously making claims in the Times, huh? How impressive. <laughs> Only instead of sarcasm, there are tens of millions of people who are willing to believe it. And in fact, the polls show majority, 60 something percent, super majority of Americans bought this story. Yeah. Because otherwise, Shane, what are you saying? That they're lying? They wouldn't lie about something like yeah, that. Community, Scott. So they're intelligent. Uh, exactly. <laughs> That's right. They don't even have information. It's built right in there how smart they are. Right in just their own word. They don't have data. They have intelligence. Yeah, sure. And meanwhile, here's the other context here. Last fall, Donald Trump was about to sign a peace deal with the, with the Taliban. And the CIA came up with this crap. The Afghan government and the CIA came up with this crap. And they, and I don't think this had anything to do with it, but Trump then thwarted that whole thing by inviting the Taliban and the Afghan government to Camp David to try to force them to sign a brand new deal that no one had negotiated that wasn't going to work. Mm -hmm. The whole thing fell apart. 
I'm not sure there was a connection there, but anyway, that's the timeline. They did originally bring it up in order to thwart the thing last fall, obviously. Then in February, they brought it up again. They signed the deal on February the 29th. The CIA brought this up, tried to put it in the president's brief on February the 26th. Too late to stop the deal, but enough to try to add this shadow of scandal. And, oh, great, this is what Russia wants and all of this kind of thing to it. Maybe they really were trying to stop it, but Trump's people didn't brief him on it. They kept it in the paperwork, but they didn't tell him about it because it was bull. You know, it was totally unconfirmed anyway. What's he supposed to do? Accuse Putin based on this unconfirmed thing? Scotch the deal with the Taliban based on this unconfirmed story, which, you know, turns out obviously to be nonsense. And then when did they come out with it again? They come out with it again right after Trump says he's ordering the military to look at going ahead and pulling our troops out before Election Day. Instead of waiting till the end of next May, like in the deal he signed with the Taliban in February. Maybe I'll pull him out in February so I can run as the president who ended the Afghan war. And then what happens? Blam. Back to that point that we left uh, a note, uh, you know, a uh, uh, thumbtack in a minute ago. The New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, the Washington Post all at once get fed this story by the CIA. And then what happens? This story dominates the entire news cycle for a week and a half. And Trump announces, OK, we're pulling out 4,000, but not all 8,000. We're going to leave 4,000 troops. And so it worked. It absolutely worked. And now, look, even the New York Times, the New York Times editorial page says, was the intelligence tweaked? In other words, were they lying? Was the intelligence tweaked by people seeking to hinder efforts to withdraw American troops? What they're asking is whether they were co-conspirators in a plot with CIA liars to lie to the American people, to say, to try to spin this narrative that if Trump ends the Afghan war, that just means he's serving the interests of Russia at the expense of the United States. And then also got to make note of this. It's too simple. It should go without saying, but you got to make note that what's the logic here from the side of the Hawks? We have to keep sending guys. If the Russians are paying to get our guys killed, we have to keep sending guys to get killed. Otherwise, we're betraying them. We can't give in to that kind of terrorism. We have to keep sending guys to die. Otherwise, we're letting them down. And so they say that with a straight face. And you may have seen the Democrats in the House, led by Jason Crow, the CIA Democrat, uh, is you know what they were called back when they were running last uh, term. <clears throat> was this group of CIA Democrats. This guy, Jason Crow, is an Afghan war vet and a Democrat. He teams up with Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter, on the Armed Services Committee in the House to come up with these amendments to the National Defense Authorization Act, the all-important defense spending bill that says that Trump can is forbidden from spending money on withdrawing from Afghanistan, which they have no right to do whatsoever. I mean, seriously, like... I'm not one to take the side of the president in constitutional fights, because if anything, you know, under the Constitution, I'm very much like an Article One Congress first type. Mm -hmm. But tell me the president doesn't have the authority to remove troops from a country where they're engaged in hostilities. Wrong. Yeah, he has absolutely every right in the world to do that and put them where the hell he wants to. I mean, not invade another country, but 
certainly to bring them home. And Congress cannot restrict that. Obama can start two wars, but they can for but Congress can forbid Trump from ending one. It's absolutely insane. But then I think it's important to note, dude, that Liz Cheney comes right out. She can't, she's, I guess, not in a position to extort or blackmail anyone else into doing this for her. She goes ahead and it means that much to her. She's got to do something. So she goes to intervene right there with her big last name and everything. Like, why doesn't she get married and change her name? Dude, what is going on with her? Is she married? Why doesn't she go by her husband's name? She's running around with the Cheney brand name. The Cheney in the house is trying to stop the war. And the Democrats just rushed to embrace her. Hmm. And in no way did they realize, like, oh, my God, we're getting the stink of a blood-soaked Cheney all over us. They're like, yeah, we got to team up with her to stop Trump from appeasing the Russians by getting out of Afghanistan. Man. And then, and, and so they do. And they're going to have a fight in the Congress over this. And Rand Paul tried to issue a resolution to say, let's get out of Afghanistan. And um, I think uh, four, I think, I think four Republicans supported him and 30 Democrats supported him, so, yeah. which means something like 15 or 20 Democrats voted <laughs> against him. And with the rest of the entire rest of the Republican Party, that is the majority in the Senate to stay in defiance of their president. I mean, Rand Paul was sticking up for the president here. And, you know, and Trump, of course, is too bad at the political game to have picked up the phone and told Mitch McConnell, like, listen here, you son of a bitch. I want this vote to go my way. He doesn't do that. And so Mitch McConnell and the, and the Republicans are like, OK, Rand, you can have your little stunt, but it doesn't mean a thing. Yeah. You know, and so now I don't think they've canceled the full withdrawal unless Trump loses. And Biden's already said, we're not leaving. Any deal with the Taliban Trump's made is canceled. We're not going anywhere, according to the Democrats. They're running on that. They're running on against Trump's reckless uh, wish to withdraw from Afghanistan. No way is Biden not on my watch, says the Democrat running. Okay, let's take a minute to thank our sponsor, Libertarian Country. Libertarian Country is your place for all of your liberty apparel needs. They have t-shirts, mugs, bottle openers, beer koozies, books, and many more. Use our promo code HAPA, H-A-P-A, for 10% off your order. Again, that's promo code HAPA for 10% off. Thanks, Libertarian Country, and thank you for your support. So, like, with, with that, when you said that Biden's running on that, and then Trump, I mean, obviously, it just seems like he wants to do this but then maybe i don't know maybe somewhere in the back of his head he's like i don't have the political will to draw down the troops from afghanistan or, or wherever you know because it just seems it just seems like it's just yeah it just seems like a continuous you know every time i do something that i was running on or you know obviously maybe his maybe his intentions were 100 you know what we would agree on you know it's like oh we're spending too much money or whatever you know but right. even then it's just i don't know the whole thing just because like, yeah, like we were saying, this whole thing kind of is just falling apart. Has it really gained the traction, I guess, is like the first Russia gate and then Ukraine gate or whatever. This is like, right. well, this is like part three. And it's like, eh, whatever. It's not doing very well in the box office, basically, you know? Yeah. Well, but it did. Oh, no, no, no. I disagree. I mean, I think it had a huge effect for the first week is when it really counted. And it's true that it's fizzled out now. Yeah. But, you know, the people who believe in it, they don't look for 
to make sure that it still holds up. They just believe and they're going to always. I saw on Twitter liberals going, hey, anybody notice that last week Trump was again guilty of treason with Russia and Afghanistan. And now nobody all of a sudden nobody cares for some reason. And it's like, yeah, because the story fell apart, you dumb bastard. But he doesn't know that. He yeah. just thinks, oh, yeah, sure. Trump gets away with it again because it's all just confirmation bias all the way down. It's all just believe what you want to believe. So but for the for the center and the majority and the consensus and the Congress and everywhere that it counts in that first week, this was huge and it worked. It absolutely worked and it prevented any effort to get us out before the election. And Trump already backed down on that. I guess I guess the, the main I guess the reason why I said it, it's like it's the box office hasn't been doing very well. I guess because you know the first one it was you know impeachment and then Ukraine gate also with you know impeachment or so I mean could you no, imagine if they tried the impeachment thing again? It's like oh my god, really? Yeah, no, this is more like this is more like the size of just another bullshit Russiagate story. That's right. what it is. Another bombshell that ends up falling completely apart and meaning nothing, just like the 700 that came before, you know. Oh, my God. The Trump Tower meeting. It's treason. Oh, actually, the people he met with had no information and were not representative of the Russian government. And uh, nothing. There's absolutely nothing there whatsoever at all. And oops. And but, uh, I, I know I've heard this said before, but if this were true, if there were actually bounties placed on American military personnel's heads or whatever, then we're all about the safety of their, you know, the personnel or whatever. Well, then why the hell are we taking them out then? You yeah, know? No. Yeah, no, it would be, you know, just because of macho, right? We have, if, if this is happening, the question is not why aren't we getting our troops out? The question is why aren't we sending Russians home in body bags and revenge for that? And that's what they're already saying. Uh, you know, how dare Trump not be killing Russians in Afghanistan right now? And they're really, they've, they've framed this as, you know, it was already, Shane, a hasty and precipitous withdrawal after 19 years. How dare he engage in this? And now it's a hasty and precipitous withdrawal. Oh, but we see why he's insistent on doing it. It's because that's what his master, Vladimir Putin, wants. Yeah, his master, Vladimir Putin. Yeah, he's down. That's his master, Vladimir Putin. Meanwhile, he's didn't he put like like tons of like I don't know. He's doing the most anti-Russian things. He's part sure. of the most anti-Russian president. Yeah. Well, look, and I'll go down that list in a second. Remind me because I'll space out. But just look at what's going on in this situation. If Trump is uh, Putin's secret little puppet, blackmailed little puppet, why would Putin do this to him? Why would Putin put him in this position? Yeah. That he can't get our troops out of Afghanistan without publicly looking like Putin's big bitch, right? Like, is that what Putin wants? Is just the the ego inflation or he wants Trump to do what he wants him to do? And if he wants Trump to pull out of Afghanistan, then how is handing out Russian rubles for American scalps anything but a, a self-defeating measure on the part of the Russians? Obviously, look at the result. The result is once that story gets out, then they make it look like Trump is Putin's puppet and that this is serving Russian interests instead of American ones. And so Trump has to not do it. So now ask yourself, OK, well, if the Russians did do this, 
and the result is exactly what the result has been. And that it's reasonable to think that this would have been the result that they were trying to achieve was this kind of backlash. Well, then what does that say? Does that say that the Russians are trying to get us to stay? That if they can pay in rubles for a few American scalps, that they could provoke Trump into saying, oh, no, now that we're being humiliated there, now we have to double down the war. Because that's what America did to Russia in Afghanistan. And that's what the Americans to the current day talk about doing to Russia in Syria right now. In fact, just James Jeffries, just a couple of months ago, there's a story in Newsweek about how he said this is what we want to do in Syria is bog Russia down in a quagmire like we did to them in Afghanistan in the 80s. Again, that same thing. Well, isn't that what we're doing to ourselves in Afghanistan right now? And if this story is true about the Russians, then doesn't that say that that's what the Russians are trying to do? Is bait is the same thing that Jimmy Carter was trying to do to them. Give them a reason to double down rather than withdraw. And so if that's what Putin wants, then the way to really stick it to Putin would be to go ahead and leave. And if he's afraid of ISIS, let him back the Taliban to keep ISIS down. What the hell do we care about that? In fact, let me go on this tangent because this is important. Okay. It's true, Shane, that the Russians have been backing the Taliban, but only very recently in the last three, four years. And the only reason why is because they saw the Americans were leaving and they saw the Americans had lost the war. OK, so now you have this group they call ISIS-K, ISIS Khorasan province, hmm. and they are the result of the bin Ladenification of the Pakistani Taliban, basically, because when America attacked Al-Qaeda, Obama had the CIA drone war in Pakistan attacking Al-Qaeda and the Tariki Taliban, the Pakistani Taliban together and at the same time. And the bin Ladenites radicalized the Tariki Taliban. And then many of them fled from the war to Afghanistan, from the Pakistani side of the line to Afghanistan for safe haven. Just the opposite of, the, of in Afghanistan, where the Afghan Taliban go for safe haven on the Pakistani side of the line, right? Well, these guys ended up calling themselves ISIS and declaring their loyalty to Baghdadi. And they don't recognize the borders of Afghanistan. They want to create a new Islamist caliphate in the old, what was the old Khorasan province of olden times which is like far Eastern Persian empire, okay? Which took up a big part of Afghanistan, even all the way into Eastern Afghanistan was called Khorasan. And so the Taliban now, they're not bin Ladenites. They never were. They're conservatives, very, very right-wing reactionary conservatives. The bin Ladenites are very, very right-wing reactionary radicals. They don't want to take over a territory and rule it and make it perfect. They want to watch the whole world burn. They want, they're more like Leninists who want to smash everything, you know, like the Illuminati, hang the Pope and turn the whole world upside down, start all over again, you know, like the leftists with all their year zero, you know, Pol Pot craziness going on right now. That's much more the Bin Ladenite thing. So guess who hates them? The Taliban hate them. And guess who are the only people in Afghanistan who are any good at keeping them down? The Taliban. The Afghan government that America has built there is a total joke. Everything that Bush and Obama did, it's worthless. The Afghan National Army is worthless. When ISIS is, you know, 
controlling territory like in the Nangarhar province in eastern Afghanistan. It's the Taliban that go in there and kill them, not the Afghan National Army. And so that is why the Russians have been working with the Taliban. And they may even be giving them some money and weapons, although there's no evidence of that at all. But, you know, they're supporting them, possibly uh, giving them some money. But it's all to fight ISIS. It's not to fight the Americans. It's America that switched sides in the Afghan war, not Russia. America used to back the Mujahideen against the Russians and their friends. Now we back the Russians and their friends against the Mujahideen. So there's no re So in other words, the Russians have supported America's war in Afghanistan the whole time. They're not against us there. They supported us the whole time. And the only reason they're supporting the Taliban now is not even to kick us in the ass on the way out the door. It's not even that. Which you can imagine that, right? You can imagine some Russians going, hey, 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 we're going to go ahead and kill some Americans, you know, for payback and for fun and for revenge and macho crap or whatever. But there's no reason to think that's what's going on here. There's no actual reason to think that other than you can imagine it being so. In fact, they need the Taliban to keep ISIS out now that America's leaving. It's as simple as that. And look, that's the deal that Trump made with the Taliban too. Not that we'd give them money and guns, but that... It's their responsibility to keep ISIS and Al-Qaeda down and out of Afghanistan. Simple as that. And so, right, it's the same policy. The Russians had the same policy in Afghanistan as the United States. It's as simple as that. This thing is a lie. This story is totally a lie. Just like all of this entire Cold War with Russia. The Americans are the ones who started. And, and just like with Iraq and Syria and Libya and Yemen, which they don't even bother lying about Yemen most of the time. But with all these, the reason they lie is because what they're doing is wrong. And it's as simple as that. If they had to tell the truth, then the answer at the end would be, well, we got to do something else then. Yeah. So that uh, list that you were mentioning that you were going to um, talk about. Yeah. Uh, about that. I'm sorry, which list was it again? Oh, I know you mentioned that, uh, a, a list or something. And then he said, uh, then remind me about the list and then I'll get back to it or something. Yeah, like that. You don't so remember? I remember that event, but I don't remember which list it was. You don't remember what the list was about? I don't remember. Uh oh. Um, but anyway, so I got what Biden's got. I'm sorry, Shane. Uh, I can't remember the goddamn thing. Oh, that's fine. I, I should have written it down, man. I, I forget it too sometimes. But um, anyway, so I kind of want to also um mention it because I, I did mention that you know everyone's talking about trump being russian's puppet or uh, putin's puppet or whatever i know you've mentioned it too yeah but his policies that trump has been doing and initiating against russia is anything but friendly right russia. oh that was the list yeah, okay. the list. yeah. all the things that trump had done against the right. russian that made right. him all exactly what it was so thanks <laughs> That's good. i was yeah. never gonna remember that by the way <laughs> um but uh, yeah, so that was what it was, was um, once Trump got in and you can you can find this in CNN.com with the FBI where they're talking about they tried to get Trump. They tried to overthrow him with the 25th Amendment, which is crazy. The 25th Amendment doesn't say you can overthrow the president if you want. And give me a break. Um, well, see, but, uh, doesn't that whole thing with the amendments kind of just like maybe prove or even give you a strong argument that people can just interpret the Constitution however they want in their however in their favor or whatever political yes. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the 25th Amendment, it's what it says is that um, the president can only do two terms or that's the 22nd Amendment. But anyway, it's the line of secession. It's it, it's it's establishes in law 
um, and says that Congress shall pass laws developing this further. But it says that it goes from the president to the vice president to the speaker of the House and then the, the uh, pro tem of the Senate. And then from there, the secretary of state and then the secretary of defense and on down the line. Um, and it says that the president can be overthrown of his own cabinet, all of agree and vote to overthrow him. I forget if it has to be two thirds or three quarters. I think they have to have a three quarters agreement of the entire cabinet. And that would be in the name of mental defect, which, you know, possibly like if you really stretch it, you could say Nixon's drunk and and like way too drunk and dangerous um and you know possibly but what they had in mind was woodrow wilson had a stroke and essentially his wife took over the government and mm -hmm. there was a clear law that said that she had to turn power over to the vice president at that point and mm -hmm. so she just became the president for the, a while you know um and so um, that's what they were trying to solve now the idea that trump is such a narcissist that the cabinet can overthrow him by pretending that narcissist is a mental defect and that they can just, and then, so how's this supposed to happen? All the people that he just appointed to his cabinet are just going to conspire against him and overthrow him. And why? Based on false accusations of treason with Russia that were not true and could not hold up in a million years. It's nuts. And the whole thing is completely crazy. You go back and look at the way that they did this. It's just unbelievable. The only reason that it's not unbelievable is because all the other unbelievable stuff that's also happened since then that just it gets washed up, you know, uh, you know, caught up and washed away with all the other craziness. Um, yeah. But um, so they said, OK, look, if we can't use the 25th Amendment to overthrow him, we can't stop him from being inaugurated and stuff. Well, at least we can hem him in. And I always get the quote wrong. I always forget if it's hem him in or rein him in. I think it's rein him in we can rein him in that's the thing so that was why they launched the special counsel investigation to pretend to investigate him for ties to russia they knew that all that was bullshit but it was to essentially prevent him from doing what he wanted to limit his freedom of action on russia policy and then so that meant that his europe policy his eastern europe policy is essentially on autopilot in the hands of as you heard him talk like this in the impeachment the interagency Right. Vindman was testifying. Well, the interagency decided we were going to sell these Raytheon products to um, to uh, Ukraine. And then the president intervenes. Like, who the hell does he think he is to tell the interagency what our foreign policy is? We tell him that's the way this works around here, says the lowly, you know, lieutenant colonel. Right. President like the president doesn't have a say in his own foreign policy. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, it's whatever the deputies of the different departments agree. That's the deal. Yeah. Um, and so, and we, you know, and whatever the deputies of the different military agencies um, agree on, they, they let him know what our policy is. Simple as that. And they freak out when he tries to take control of it and they don't know what it, what is even going on. But then so but it was on autopilot virtually all along that one uh, Ukrainian missile escapade, uh, notwithstanding. And we get back to that in a second for a minute if you want. But what it means, the autopilot means that Montenegro and Northern Macedonia were both brought into NATO for no good reason whatsoever. They provide no benefit whatsoever to America or our assets or interests or any kind of thing at all. Um, but they, you know, mean more war guarantees to more countries in Eastern Europe. Uh, you know, this is the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, right? So that might 
sound like England, France, Spain. Germany's really pushing it. Turkey? Turkey's not in the North Atlantic, but okay, Turkey's been a member all this time. But now we're talking about Hungary and the Baltic states, and it was Clinton that brought in the Baltic states. So anyway, so this is what Trump did. Trump sent um, uh, more troops to Poland and is considering building a permanent base there. Mm. He sent more troops to the Baltic states, which are two of the three of them are right on Russia's border there. Um, I think it's Latvia and Estonia are right on uh, Russia's border. And the troops even did a big military parade, 100 yards from the Russian line, mm. right there. And then where uh, Barack Obama supported the neo-Nazi coup d'etat in Ukraine in 2014, and then all those Nazis, they didn't really take over the government, although some of them did. Andre Perubi was in, you know, the Speaker of the House um, for years there. But, uh, you know, a lot of these Nazis went and joined the National Guard and went to wage war on the people of the East who refused to accept the new coup d'etat government there. Tens of thousands of people were killed in this war, and Obama was afraid to send them weapons. Obama was like, okay, I back these Nazis in a coup, but damn, now I'm going to send them weapons. And this could really escalate into a real war with Russia because the Russian special operations forces were, you know, helping the rebel side and, and Russia never outright invaded, but they might have. And, and if they did, then what was Obama going to do and things like that. And so he was like, man, I'm not, I don't want to do it. Trump comes in. Trump's like, yeah, you want some Lockheed products? Here you go, pal. Shane will pay for it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? And hands them whatever. And then it's it's just unbelievable. I swear to God, it's like living in a, it's not really a nightmare, but it's like some funhouse mirror, just ridiculous version of the world where the president of the United States was literally impeached for holding up an arms deal. And the only time a president had been impeached was Andrew Johnson when the Congress was trying to dictate his cabinet to him and the way he was you know, implementing reconstruction and all of that, that failed. Mm -hmm. uh, and Bill Clinton was impeached because he just straight up committed perjury, felony perjury in front of a federal grand jury, which is a felony. He wasn't and, holding up an arms deal. Yeah. And it, yeah, he, he was just screwing around, having a good time, you know, uh, his arms, her arms, but not the same thing. And um, and then so then this is the other one. It's just completely absurd. Um, yeah, you know, Nixon would have been impeached and removed over real crimes. That's the only one that's not completely absurd in the whole thing but trump was actually impeached the house of representatives voted and impeached the president for holding up an arms deal um but he's also um pushed forward with developing the new generation of nukes including the uh, low yield new cruise missiles that he's deployed on battleships in the black and baltic seas which is a huge provocation and he's just totally built up our naval presence in the black and baltic seas and um He's added massive sanctions on them in order to try to prevent them from doing business with Germany. Mm. He has, um, uh, geez, I, I got a whole list of my brain here somewhere. Let me see. Hmm. Uh, arms to Ukraine, troops to Poland, the Baltics. Oh, the treaties. Um, I, I, I mentioned the low yield nukes, but he's also pulled us out of the INF treaty, the start to, or the new start treaty and the Open Skies Treaty. And these are very important. The, the INF Treaty is the Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty that kept mid-range missiles out of Europe for the last 30 years, since Ronald Reagan, 1987. This was one of his greatest achievements, uh, was the INF Treaty. And um, so now that's gone. Then 
the Open Skies Treaty was something that Eisenhower had proposed and that presidents had worked on for years and years, and Clinton finally got it signed. And what it does is it allows the Russians to overfly America and allows the Americans to overfly Russia in order to look at each other's military bases from the air, in order to reassure each other that we're not mobilizing for war. It's a it's an, a, an assurance policy, right? Um, so that neither side gets too overly suspicious of what the other side is up to unnecessarily. Got us out of that. And then um, now the start truth, the, the new start treaty, which I love this story. Obama tries to get the new start treaty through and the Republicans in Congress say, no way, not unless you give us a trillion dollars for new nukes. So he goes, fine, you can have a trillion dollars for new nukes if you'll sign this new start treaty. So they create this whole new project to revamp the entire nuclear arsenal. They're going to remake every single nuclear bomb in the arsenal. Start all over from scratch for no reason. <laughs> for no necessary reason. Just for the welfare check. They're going to redo. And not only that, they're going to rebuild every factory, redo the entire Sandy and Lawrence Livermore laboratories and whatever you've got. Magic wish list of every hydrogen bomb maker and scientist on that payroll in the system. And, but you got to vote for my treaty. Okay, deal. Hmm. Then Trump comes in, doubles the program. Now it's 1.7 trillion, read two, and it'll be three or four by the time they're done, of course. And then, but now they're going to kill the treaty. Hmm. You still get your $2 trillion revamping of the entire nuclear industry, but they're going to kill the goddamn treaty. And so um, this is the last treaty that limits the number of deployed nuclear forces. So we have uh, nuclear missiles. So we have well, right now, I think it's about 4,000 deployed and another 3,000 in storage each, something right around there. But then th those limits are going to be broken. And then so America and Russia will be free to launch into an arms race into the tens of thousands of nukes again that we absolutely do not need and have nothing to fight about at all. Jeez. You know, when the first Cold War broke out, Shane, they go, listen, normally we don't give a shit what happens to Europe. OK, forget them. But this is communism, man. This is like Nazism. This yeah. is special. This is really bad. We can't let the whole world turn red. So because this is an exception, because of the particularly madman ideology of Marxist, Leninist, Soviet communism, this is an emergency. We have to create NATO. We have to occupy Europe. We have to guarantee the freedom of the free world and contain the communist menace and all of these things. Well, now that whole line of bullshit has expired. Okay. There's no communism, but now it's just Russia, 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 Russia. Even though they pulled their troops back 1000 miles to the East, 1200 miles, but that's not good enough for us. Now all of Eastern Europe is America's backyard, but Russia's not allowed to have a backyard at all. They might not even be allowed to have an inside their house. Yeah. But, but you know, whatever had ever been their sphere of influence is, is to be completely dominated by us now from now on. And, you know, when I mentioned the expansion of NATO, Bush Sr. promised Gorbachev at the end of the Cold War and the dissolution of the Soviet Empire, if you pull your troops out of Germany, I swear, I promise, we will not expand NATO one inch east of Germany. And then Gorbachev said, all right. 
And then not only did he pull his troops back again, he pulled them back 1,200 miles, dude. He hmm. canceled the whole goddamn thing. Hmm. And what did America do? Immediately broke the promise under Bill Clinton, started gobbling up former Warsaw Pact states and bringing them into NATO. And they acted like, hey, Russia's our friend and Yeltsin, we like Yeltsin, he likes us. We drink together. It's no big deal. It, it's not threatening you. We're not threatening you. We just like you. We'll build a NATO-Russia council. We'll all be friends. This isn't meant to be at your expense. But of course, that's not true. And as soon as they got a leader in there that they don't get to own and control and push around, now all of a sudden, this NATO alliance is not just a social club for Eurocrats, is it? It's a military alliance that says that we will all fight together in a war with Russia. If you pick a fight with one of us, you pick a fight with all of us. Well, why is this necessary? You know, Trump constantly complains that Germany spends 1% of their GDP on the military. Well, how come we have to pay so much for the cost of NATO and militarizing all the NATO states when Germany, the most powerful NATO member, apparently feel like they can just rely on us to pick up the whole tab. But I mean, what does that tell you? Doug Bandow makes this point over and over again. What does it tell you that Germany refuses to spend money on tanks? It tells you that they don't need them and they know they don't need them. It tells you that they're not their military industrial complex is not powerful enough politically to force Germany to rearm against Russia unnecessarily. Germany and Russia have fought before twice, two big ones. I don't know about ancient times, two big ones in the last hundred years. Probably a hundred million people killed overall in the two world wars between them. And they want to not replicate that. Yeah. And they're not going to sit here and build up a giant armed military force against a Russia that is not threatening them. They're just not going to do it. They it's they've learned too hard the hard way. And, you know, in America, vested interests can do whatever they want. In America, vested interests can pretend whatever they want about Russia. They can buy a thousand submarines. OK, but in Germany, they're just going, no, we're just not going to do this. No, no, no. Politics and reason are going to trump the economics of fat bribes from military contractors. It's just not worth it. They don't, and, and they're not afraid of Russia. They look at Russia and they go, well, they're not coming. Hmm. They're not coming. And so why are we going to gear up to fight them? If we start gearing up to fight them, they're going to look at us like, oh, oh, they're gearing up to fight us. And we've been here before. We did this before. This is how World War I turned into the worst thing that ever happened before. Hmm. Just forget it. We're not going to do it. So if the, if the Germans see no threat from Russia, then that means the Americans are pretending to see a threat from Russia. Get it? It means they're lying. It means they're just a bunch of welfare monger whore dogs. And they're just, you know, to whatever degree they believe that America is so exceptional and moral and good and righteous that we have to dominate the whole world, then they're just as bad as the Soviet communists. They have an ideology of global expansion that threatens the entire existence of our species. So how about we strap them to missiles and drop them on the Russians, you know, without explosives, you know, just let the impact take. Yeah. Like you were saying, you know, obviously with, um, with, uh, I believe Russia being, you know, a nuclear weapon country, you know, they have nuclear weapons, whatever, and U S having nuclear weapons and all this stuff. And then with the, that one tree, that's pretty much gone now. Cause Trump's being like, Oh, I can do whatever I want. You know, what, what did Obama do? I'll do the opposite. You know, that kind of thing. 
You know, yeah. I, like I wish that that kind of mentality that, that he has about Obama's foreign policy. I mean, it wasn't perfect. Obviously, he had some a lot of failures. Obviously, you know, with the Libya and Yemen war. I mean, come on, yeah. Syria and all that. Syria, yeah. But, but even even with the you know Iran nuclear deal, and oh, screw that. I don't like whatever. I'm, I'm gonna get rid of yeah. that. And yeah. then with the Russian thing, it's just it was the Israelis were behind that more than Obama resentment. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, you're right, though. I hear you. Yeah, but even with that, it's just, you know, like we're kind of going back to the whole thing is with this whole Russia, you know, putting bounties on on people's heads or whatever. And it's just like, well, and you were just listing all the things that Trump has done that's been negative towards Russia or, you know, has been like very hostile towards them, but they don't look at it like that. Look at the reality of Putin. I mean, the guy is a strong man. There's no question about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's definitely not someone that I, I don't think any American who looks at Putin and, you know, I don't know, maybe they don't trust him or they kind of, you know, they don't know what to think of him. He's kind of like a wild card to us, you know, maybe I don't know how they, I don't know how Russians feel about him. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't really look into it, but here in America, I mean, I really don't think about him. I mean, I don't know. Putin's just some guy that, you know, he's just the guy in Russia. He's the leader of Russia, whatever. But well, the way I think about him is I think that he's a pretty moderate guy. It's sort of again, like contrasting the Taliban with ISIS in Afghanistan. Right. Alabama are right-wing conservatives. ISIS are right-wing radicals. Which one's going to suicide bomb you first? Right? Which one is, you know, probably the most dangerous and destructive over the near term? It's the ISIS guys. Yeah. And it's the same thing with with Vladimir Putin. He is a right-wing conservative. You know, a very strong Russian nationalist and he is almost an autocrat, but he hasn't declared himself czar. You know, he still has the pretense of law, just like when Roosevelt stayed in power. Roosevelt essentially made himself president for life in America. And, you know, we amended the Constitution so presidents can't do that anymore here. But that's essentially what Putin has done, too. He has not, you know, completely abolished the Constitution. He has worked within it and finagled around it. And he went to the parliament for a couple of years and then came back to the presidency. And in other words... He wants the power for himself, but he's not trying to just end the rule of law and create a military dictatorship there or something like that. Um, and, and in other words, I think, you know, he's probably about the best that we could hope for in a Russian president. What the Amer- from an American public point of view, what the American government wants is another drunken Yeltsin pushover who will let America and their Israeli friends and whoever exploit the Russian people. And, you know, liquidate their economy and, and, you know, do the 1990s all over again. They want compliance. But I look at Vladimir Putin and I go, look, thank God this guy's a sociopath. (laughs) Think about how dangerous he would be if he had feelings. You know, if he had feelings, he might be really upset and he might do something really stupid. Yeah. The way that America insults, you know, they quite literally insult him. You know, Obama goes, yeah, he's like a kid, looks like a slouch, like a bum sitting in the back of the class, not paying attention, like some loser. And, you know, John McCain, yeah, his country's not even a country. It's just a gas station with a border. It's a joke. They're pathetic. Obama said, oh, they're just a regional power. They're not even a regional power, much less a global power. And this kind of thing. Look, if Putin was who they said he was, he might do something really nasty. As a result of the way the Americans push him around. And what does he do? Instead, he's like, well, you know, sometimes we have differences of opinions with our American partners. 
And like he refuses to call us adversaries. He calls the USA our American partners always. Oh, yeah, they're our partners. The Americans, we love them. The Americans, we have so many things in common with them, so many interests in common with them that we need to work with them on. And he's not sucking up. He's just, look, business is business, son. That's his whole point of view. Business is business. And you're telling me that's the most dangerous, you know, a dictator in the on the world right now? I don't think so. You know, I, I if he was paranoid schizophrenic, that'd be worse. I think ice cold, throat slitting, son of a bitch, is, you know, I wouldn't want to be a Russian and I certainly wouldn't want to be a public dissident against him in Russia, but that doesn't make him an international threat. That doesn't make him an unreasonable man. Yeah. It makes him a ruthless son of a bitch. I'm not saying that. I'm Absolutely. Does he have people's throats cut when he wants them cut? Sure. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying he's not having a freak out when he does it. It's just a mob hit. It's just business. Is you know he's um, uh, and and it could be worse. It could be much worse. He'd have people in charge of Russia who don't know what the hell to do and panic all day, and flip out all day, and and are paranoid as hell about what the Americans must be up to at all times. And God knows what. You know, I think I think we could do a lot worse than to have Putin as the president of Russia. You know, and again, I, that's no endorsement of his power. It's just being realistic about, you know, I'll tell you an example. And I can't remember which congressman this was. And I tried Googling it and, and I don't know if it ever was posted online in transcript form. But I saw on TV, it was either on CNN or MSNBC, and they're interviewing a Republican congressman. And this is like, remember, in the Syria war, the frame of reference was the Republicans were mad at Obama for not doing enough to back Al Qaeda there. Right. That was like not the Breitbart, you know, Republicans, but the John McCain Republicans. Right. So there's the John McCain, you know, member of Congress, but a John McCain Republican hawk type. And um, he's saying, yeah, well, we just got to get rid of Assad. We got to overthrow this government. We got to do whatever it takes to get rid of Assad. And the host kind of innocently says the anchor says, well, so it might have been Wolf Blitzer because it was innocent enough. And he, he's just such a doe-eyed fool that he's just asks a good question accidentally sometimes. Well, so if we do get rid of Assad, then what? Hmm. You know, who's going to come to power? I mean, the whole government might fall, right? We might have to create a whole new government there. So who's going to be, you know, who do we have lined up for that? You know, and the congressman says, well, just have to hope that someone comes to the fore. And I'm just sitting there going, what? Comes to the fore? Comes to the fore? Oh, yeah. Oh, look, it's the Syrian Thomas Jefferson fell out of the sky and decreed a democracy for everybody. It's wonderful. They're going to serve American interests from now on just because they like us so much because someone came to the fore. And it all just worked out the way this Republican hoped, even though he clearly had no idea what victory was supposed to look like. You know, what? how can I describe what it's going to look like when we win? I have no idea. Let's just hope that it works out great. Yeah. Okay. That sounds a lot to me like Russia policy. Yeah. Oh, we hate that Putin. We hate that Putin. Oh, yeah. Who you got lined up better than him? Oh, well, I guess we'll just have to hope that somebody comes to the fore. 
I know maybe Yeltsin's drunken corpse will come back to life and it'll be the 1990s again and we'll just make magic wishes all day and everything will be just exactly how we want it instead of how the real world is. And that's the level of unreality that you have in American Russian policy. And look, at the bottom line of all of this, there's so much money in aircraft carriers mm-hmm. and submarines and a whole new generation of long-range bombers. The B-2, why that old piece of junk? Boy, we're making a brand new long-range bomber for you. And, you know, the F-35s and all of these things, it's the biggest boondoggle in the world, man. It's a trillion dollars a year. A trillion dollars a year. There's never in the history of the world been a honeypot like that to exploit. And then you see how just absolute you know, fractions of nickels of remainders of nothing on the tail end of all of that spending is recycled back into the think tanks and back into the lobbying of the congressman to keep things the way it is, right? Congress writes a check to Lockheed for $40 billion. And then they spend 40 million lobbying over the course of a couple of years, even, you know, it's just nothing. It's just absolutely nothing. It's the cost of some steak dinners, some cocaine, a little bit of just make an Air Force general feel good, make a Navy captain, make a Navy admiral fucking feeling happy, get a congressman, a nice date for the night Hmm. and cha-ching. There's no better racket in the history of the world. And who could stop it? Who could stop it? You know, for all the John F. Kennedy theories and whatever, the real point is that they would have killed him, even if they didn't. Hmm. You think think the military state wouldn't have murdered a president for getting in their way? Of course they would. Why wouldn't they? I mean, maybe that's one of the reasons why Trump doesn't. I mean, that's why he doesn't really have a backbone on on some of these things because maybe he. You know, we don't know about. Maybe they're saying, "Hey, if you don't do what we tell you, we're gonna," you know. Well, I mean, the real problem is, is he's just brain dead oh yeah i mean he doesn't have to deal with all the see anything through you know but but yeah i mean i think look i think any i think it's absolutely the case that barack obama and donald trump both know that they can only push things so far i mean look at what happened to donald trump and look at they falsely this russiagate thing it's so silly that you don't take it seriously but think about this the cia and the fbi falsely accused the president of the united states of high treason knowingly falsely lied about the president the first of all the nominee of one of the two major parties for president secondly the president elect after he won the election then the actual president himself when he's the president and they go you know what we'll do we'll pretend to believe that this is true for another two years and investigate it for another two years are you kidding me the Mueller investigation lasted two years. I mean, they might as well have shot him. I mean, <laughs> that is essentially a putsch. That is essentially, you know, sedition and insubordination to the absolute nth degree by the FBI and the CIA, the most powerful agencies in the American government, against their own sitting elected president of the United States of America, the oldest democracy in the world. And that is something spectacular, man. That is on the order of shooting Jack Kennedy in the face. That is essentially, you know, in the same family of, boy, you guys got a lot of chutzpah to think that you can get away with doing something like this. And then they can. 
And what does Trump do? Trump rails on Twitter against the Russia hoax. But he doesn't dare actually do anything about it. Yeah. You know? And there's this Durham investigation into the origin, but they're not going to see it through. The writing's already on the wall there that nobody's going to be in trouble for that. Possibly somebody be in trouble for leaking to the New York Times or something. But they're not going to prosecute these guys for sedition. They're not going to prosecute them for attempting to overthrow their own president, which is what they're guilty of. I mean, and think about it. This is what Dave Smith said to me. Dave Smith said to me, listen, the scandal of the false accusation here that is as bad as if the story itself was true. Yeah. Right. What they accused Trump of, if it, if all of that was true and he had been guilty of that, well, that's how bad the false accusation is then. Right. It is that to me is just, I don't know if, if I was Trump and I say this only half joking, if I was Trump, I would just nuke Langley, Virginia. <laughs> That's the only way to be sure is to just drop one big H bomb on Langley and save the rest of mankind from the existence of the CIA. Now there is no CIA FBI counterintelligence division. You guys want some too. Let's send the Marines over there to end that problem. Well, uh, this whole thing about, you know, Trump wanting to draw troops out or, you know, pull back troops out of Afghanistan or wherever, you know, I mean, it, and, and I mean, he's, he's gotten close, you know, obviously he's been, he's, he's escalated troops, number troop numbers, and then he's kind of, you know, drawing back or whatever. But this whole thing kind of just makes you wonder, like, is this war just like they say, endless war? Like, is it actually going to be an endless war after we're all dead? Are we st- all the uh, American troops? Are they still going to be over there for whatever reason? Because oh, we got to make sure Russia doesn't do anything, or China might come over and do something, or whatever. It's like, why do they care about Afghanistan and Iraq? And that's why people are saying, well, the oil and you know, com- you know, control and power and all this stuff. And it's just, I mean, it's just it's more money being wasted than then that you can just spend at home. And that's the one of the reasons that you know Trump had the whole America first. We gotta spend money. Why don't we just spend the money here in America? Why are we spending over in some random right. country that half the population in America doesn't even know where the hell it is? Right. You know? The problem is again is his stupidity, right? You know, it, what if you had Rand Paul in the same situation? Rand Paul would have the depth of understanding to argue back against his own generals and say, no, I reiterate my earlier point and I still mean it. And you haven't convinced me. Whereas Trump goes, well, I'm really mad that you're winning this argument. I guess I give up because he doesn't know anything. He's supposed to be the art of the deal, the greatest deal person ever, but whatever. Yeah. But he just doesn't, he doesn't know enough to have enough conviction to stand by anything, to do anything. Right. You can't just say, um, and in fact, you know, there are anecdotes that I guess are believable anecdotes of him absolutely screaming at the generals and, you know, the generals, they got disciplined. They will sit there and take it. He's the president of the United States. They will not tell him, look, screw you, Donald. Right. They can't. They they are military men. And at the end of the day, they will sit there silent and take it while he screams at them that you're losers and you're fat and you failed and you suck. And if you're such a great general, how come you lost the war then, Jim, you dumb bastard? And like and and, you know, this is 
you know, part of the story of how Jim Mattis quit was Mattis was saying, no, I, I object. You cannot sign this deal with the Taliban. And Trump's like, oh, yeah, well, why don't you win the war then? I gave you carte blanche to win the war and you still failed, pal. Now, what is it that you want from me? And now, it's like your nickname, Mad Dog. Come on now. Yeah. Right. So Trump is looking at it like, well, have you won the war yet? I gave you time to win the war. You didn't win the war. Now I'm upset. OK, so he's got that. But then they come back and they go, yeah, but Iran and China and Pakistan and Taliban and Russia, Russia, Russia and heroin, heroin, heroin. And and what if we lose the Bagram Air Base and our strategic advantage over the Chinese, China, China, China. And then he goes, OK, OK, you got me. Fine. Here's another 10,000 troops. Or what? And he gives in now on Afghanistan. You know, I should say, I mean, he originally gave in and he gave him 10,000 troops and he. He vastly escalated the air war. He deserves to be in prison for the degree to which he escalated the air war in Afghanistan with no intelligence about who they're bombing on the ground. They're just bombing random people essentially for you know three years straight here. It's been really bad. Tens of thousands of people killed. But that's um, what they love yeah. when he's escalating true numbers. Like, oh, I love you, Trump. You're so you're best president ever. Yep. Or they just ignore it at all. They don't give him any credit when he's murdering people. Then when he stops, they have a total temper tantrum. You're not killing brown people? Oh, head exploding. He, Come on now. You, know, you do got to give him credit that he went, he got Zalmay Khalil Zad, who is an extremely powerful neoconservative Mandarin who goes back to, you know, the Leo Strauss group with Wolfowitz and Pearl and those guys in the 60s. And um, he helped pick Hamid Karzai and the new government for Afghanistan for George Bush in 2001. And was the ambassador to Afghanistan and Iraq during Iraq War II and all of this stuff. Trump brought him in and Trump said, you work directly for me, not for the secretary of state. You got all full juice with the president. And I'm giving you the mandate to go over there and make a deal with the Taliban to get us the hell out of there. And I really mean it. Yes, I mean it. So go ahead and do it. And so Khalil Zad went over there and made the deal. And it was apparent that he really meant it. He gave him, it's been about a year and a half since they started. And it was clear you know, if, if you want to go through the motions and pretend, then you make your special envoy, you put him under the secretary of state and you don't let him talk to you and you keep his access away and you don't give him the support he needs. And it's a, another good tribe that doesn't go anywhere, but you want to make sure it really works. I'm sure Khalil Zad even must have told Trump, I work directly for you now, Mr. President, not for anybody else. Okay. Right. Like he, I'm sure he would not have taken the job with any less of an assurance than that. Um, and then he did it. He signed a goddamn deal with them on February the 29th, which is huge. I mean, in my book, um, which is about getting out of Afghanistan, why we should get out of Afghanistan. I say there, don't make a deal because I can't imagine the Americans ever actually surrendering to the Taliban, admitting they lost and shaking hands and leaving that way. And so I say, just go. So the fact that Trump actually did go ahead and sign an exit deal with them is you know it really is huge and he deserves a lot of credit for that and you can hate him for every other thing in the world if you want but that is absolutely the right thing to do it should have been done a long time ago obama you know tripled the war but then promised to have it ended and all wrapped up by the end of 2014 and then he just chickened out and he kept all the troops there he when he left power there were 85,000 uh um, pardon me 8500 guys there um and then trump of course increased that um, up to about 15,000 or 18,000, something uh, with that Trump number. Didn't, uh, what aren't the levels back to where it yeah. was on a level yeah. now? Yeah. So right now they're at eight at, at the level they were when he came into power. And then, so what they're talking about is they're pulling 4,000 more out, which will leave 4,000. 
And then, which I guess means they're pulling the Marines out of Helmand. I'm not exactly sure. I want to find out. Um, right now, I think mostly you have the guys at the Bagram Air Base, and then there are Marines down in Helmand, and there are Green Berets in Nangarhar province fighting ISIS. But that's about it, I think. So, um, so how low in terms of the numbers? Like how, when, um, when was it ever low before? Has it, is that the lowest that it's been for a long time? Yes. Oh. Yeah. The lowest it got, the lowest it got was 8,500 when Obama left off, left office and then it went back up again. And so now this is the lowest it's been since 01, I guess, or will be very soon. Wow. And then the deal is that if Trump wins, then the promise is to get the rest of them out by next May, by the end of next May, which I think he probably would see through, although he, he certainly could back down from that. Yeah. Um, he, you know, what's going on with North Korea, you know, that's kind of, yeah now sadly but you know well you i mean he let the hawks ruin it i mean look at look at contrast right look at contrast he told khalil zad and this is speculation but it's just there's only one way that this went he told khalil zad i really mean it i really really mean it yes i really mean it you work directly for me and you have my authority to make a deal with the taliban and i insist that you do see it through and you know no don't give away the store but yeah yes get it done and i mean it and that was all all khalil's admit if you've read enough books like memoirs and bob woodward books and crap about how this stuff works inside the government you know that kind of thing is really important that kind of particular mandate directly from the president on a negotiation like this say for example um you know, Northern Ireland or something. You can't be working just as a representative. You're the you're the deputy secretary of state. You don't have the authority to get it done. You're the president's special envoy. You do have the authority to get it done, even a real hard one, right? So, um, you know, that that absolutely must have been what he told Khalil Saad was, you damn right, and here's a firm handshake on it. Now go out there and get him, Tiger. Now, he could have done that with Korea. He absolutely could have done that with Korea, and he absolutely did not do that with Korea. And it comes down to this. It's real simple, Shane. I won't even go on and on about it because it's so damn simple, man. The deal is this. We can either shower the North with kindness and friendship and drop our sanctions and shake hands and promise, give them a security guarantee, which means we promise not to attack them, and hope that at the end of a bunch of negotiations, we can talk them out of their nukes. Or we can say to them, give up your nukes now, and then they don't give up their nukes at all, and we stay enemies. Okay? Those are your two choices. Now, Trump knew that choice one was his choice, and that was the only way it could possibly work, and that was what he started to do. But then his government just overruled him. And his government, it was as simple as that. Pompeo and Bolton, they just stopped him. And at one point, there's even a speech by a special envoy named Stephen Began. Or, or State Department guy uh, named Stephen Began, um, who said what I just said, that, look, denuclearization can't come first. That's just never going to happen. We've got to give them, we got to really, seriously, not just make it look like, we have to really change our relationship with North Korea. And once we do, then maybe, you know, if we're lucky, we'll be able to get some denuclearization. We probably won't be able to get them to give up every last atom bomb. You know, once you got atom bombs, you pretty much want to hang on to those things no matter what, you know, but and they have security concerns. No question about that. But 
if we're going to talk them out of their nukes, we've got to allay their concerns first. That's just it. Me, you know, the the George Bush Barack Obama policy was give them up. <laughs> and that didn't work. They just made more and more and more and more nukes. Okay? So the give them up policy is stupid and counterproductive. If you want to denuclearize, you got to make friends first. Trump went and made friends. They shook hands. He walked over the border. They did photo ops. They met twice. And, you know, when they met in Vietnam, by the way, remember what the Democrats did. They brought his lawyer up and forced his lawyer to testify before Congress right when he's in the middle of this mm. important deal, trying to come up with dirt to impeach him on. And the whole time they create this whole narrative in the media, every channel, probably Fox too, but certainly all the liberals and all the Democrats and their narrative was Kim Jong-un is going to walk all over Trump. Trump's going to give away the store. Trump's going to give him everything. Trump is so stupid, out of the deal. He can't make a deal. And if he gives Kim anything, then it's just like with Putin. He's just a traitor to America. He hates America. He's an anti-American traitor. And so what could Trump do in that context, except cancel the deal, which is exactly what he did. There was no way he could walk out of there with letting them rule that narrative that he had made it so easy for Kim. That narrative was so powerful. They essentially gave him no choice but to drop poison pills in the thing and kill it. They asked for too much, knowingly asked for too much, and the North balked and they walked away and the deal's off. And now they say, oh, forget about it. No negotiations at all anymore. And it's the Americans, it's Donald Trump's government that screwed it up. I mean, again, it's his fault. It's his fault. He could send Zalmay Khalilzad over there right now. <laughs> hey, Zalmay, great job with the Taliban. You're now the special envoy to North Korea. Yeah, there you go. You know, okay. Yeah, Donald Trump's fault for bringing all the stupid people he brought into That's his right. That's John right. Bolton, really? Like yeah. you're gonna bring that guy in? Oh, I I like pet hearing people from diff from uh, all different angles, whatever. Okay, well yeah, they have authority. Bolton in then you know right. that he's completely against what you. Why bring him in in the first place? Like, hey, Mr. Exactly. President, if you talk to if you do the thing with Kim Jong uh, Kim Jong Un, it's not gonna go well for you. You need like do you, you no? You need to get rid of their nukes right now, Tom. Get rid of your nukes right now. And obviously, Kim Jong Un is, is going to be like, he ain't going to be like, okay, yeah, I'll I'll get rid of my nukes because he saw what happened with some other countries that did the same thing. And what did Bolton say? Bolton says what we're looking for here is the Libyan model. And what yeah. was the Libyan model? He gave up his nuclear program or you know whatever equipment he had, right? And then they shot him in the head. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, Kim don't want to do that. Oh, I totally yeah. yes. Please assassinate and kill me, please. I love you. Yep. Yeah. Here, let me disarm so you can come and murder me. Right. Exactly. Yeah. He's gonna. He's gonna do that. Yeah. Kim. That's stupid. Yeah. Same thing with Saddam Hussein. Saddam Hussein didn't have any weapons. They came and killed him. The Iranians said, "Well, we got, we have the know-how to make nukes, and right. that ought to be enough to keep you out." So, one, we're not guilty of making them, so we defy, we deprive you of your pretext. But two, we have a latent deterrent, and so. Right. That ought to help deter you too. You get the best of both worlds there from their point of view. That's how they kept us out. And then look at what happened. You want to know why the North Koreans have nukes? Bill Clinton, I hate the son of a bitch. I blast him into the sun myself, but he had a deal with North Korea. And the deal was that they would not uh, 
reprocess their plutonium and make nuclear weapons grade material out of anything and make nuclear weapons. As long as America gave them low millions of dollars in welfare and some fuel oil and would construct for them some low, uh, what are they called? Uh, light water reactors um, that produce, essentially they produce plutonium waste, but it's so polluted with other isotopes that it's basically impossible to refine into weapons grade plutonium. Um, that's, you know, so that's what the light water reactors are good for is you can trust a bad guy with one essentially. Right. So, um, America never lived up to the deal because Newt Gingrich and the Republicans in Congress would never let Bill Clinton give them the stuff in the deal. They wouldn't give them the light water reactors or the money, the fuel oil, anything. They never lived up to their end of the deal, but the North Koreans stayed inside the deal anyway. This is under Kim Jong-il. Then, um, W. Bush comes in. And in 2002, he puts North Korea in the axis of evil with, oh, yeah, get this. There's a big conspiracy. It's just like Hitler and Mussolini and Tojo or Hirohito all working together in the Axis powers alliance of evil in World War II. Um, only this is an alliance of Osama bin Laden, Saddam Hussein, the Ayatollah Khamenei. And Kim Jong-il, none of whom are allies with each other whatsoever. And Iran and Iraq and Al-Qaeda, all three enemies of each other. And North Korea's only tie to any of them that they sold some crappy uh, quality medium-range missiles to Iran a long time ago. But no alliance, no axis whatsoever, and certainly not an alliance with Osama bin Laden, for Christ's sake. But anyway, that was the lie they told. And then here's what happened in the fall of 2002, later that year, they outright abrogated the deal. They claimed to believe that the uh, North Koreans had a secret uranium enrichment program. Well, that was not in defiance of their safeguards agreement, and it was not in defiance of the agreed framework deal. In other words, it wasn't illegal. If it was true, which is still not proven that it was true. It was only proven that they had bought some aluminum tubes that they could have used for centrifuges, um, actually could have used for centrifuges, unlike the Iraq story about the aluminum tubes. Um, but it was never proven that they had a secret enrichment program, and it would not have been in violation of the deal if they did. It would have maybe been caused to go back to the table um, to maybe see if we could add that to the deal, something like that. But what does Bush do? Bush announces America's leaving the deal. We are abrogating the agreed framework, not them. America's leaving the deal. We announced brand new sanctions on them, announced the proliferation security initiative, which meant the American completely illegal claim of the right to seize North Korean boats on the high seas in order to uh, you know, disarm them, make sure they're not selling missiles to Iran or that kind of thing or proliferating nuclear technology. Um, and then they issued the Nuclear Posture Review, which named North Korea as a potential candidate for a nuclear first strike. Hmm. And only then did North Korea, under Kim Jong-il, uh, in December of 2002, announce that in six months we're leaving the Non-Proliferation Treaty and screw you guys. And then he kicked the IAEA inspectors out of the country. And then in 2003, withdrew from the treaty officially and started reprocessing plutonium and making nuclear weapons. And there's a great article about this that Gordon Prather, the great nuclear physicist uh, turned truth teller, wrote for antiwar.com back in 2008. 
is called How Bush Pushed North Korea to Nukes. And it's about how here we were, had a perfectly good deal. And Bush deliberately, and it was John Bolton who helped him do it. It was John Bolton was in charge of this in the State Department at the time. They, he was the one who put together the program to deliberately provoke them into leaving the nonproliferation treaty and beginning to make nuclear bombs. And I guess the idea was, well, we'll be done whooping everybody's ass in Iraq by then. And so we'll be able to go right on to North Korea, Iran, and whoever we want, rather than, oops, we're going to be so bogged down fighting for our enemies in Iraq that we won't be able to intervene in Korea. And so now we end up putting nukes in the hands of a madman who before was perfectly happy to sit inside the deal and not make nukes, hmm. you know, it's, it really is bad. It's, and, and, but of course they never tell that part of the story because it's America's fault. So they just go, Oh yeah. Crazy commie dictator. Look at how irrational he is. Why we can hardly understand the words that he says. Hmm. He's speaking a different language. So his crazy talk though. Believe me, he's saying crazy stuff. He's coming for you. You know, there's even a Norm Macdonald joke about this where Norm Macdonald, who's very not political at all, but yeah. I mean, if anything, he leans right a little bit. Um, but Norm Macdonald's like, I think this was his last appearance on Letterman, on the very last Letterman. And he just says like, hey, what do you Go on TV and they say, uh, yeah, be afraid of North Korea. Yeah, North Korea is coming for you. And I'm asking myself, like, am I afraid? I, I don't really feel afraid. <laughs> North Korea. Any of you guys, you worried about North Korea coming after you? <laughs> you know, it just, it sounds so absurd on the face of it. Um, yeah, that know. whole joke basically ends with, you know who I'm really afraid of? Germany. Because I don't know if you guys are, are history yeah. books or anything, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Germany, I don't know. They were, yeah, they went up against the world. Yeah, and, yeah. And it was actually close. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. I love Norm MacDonald. But, yep, yeah, so there you go. And that just goes to show how obvious this is to anybody. I'm like, come on. Quit shoveling this shit at me. North Korea, huh? I'm supposed to be afraid of them, huh? If they do have a nuke, what are they going to do with it? Other than keep us out. Come on. That's what this is about. That's why they would want nukes, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, especially like, you know, I was saying earlier with, and you were saying too, with the, you know, recent history of other leaders being toppled or whatever you want to say, and then they're killed. I mean, they don't want that to happen, but you know, I don't, you know, so I don't know. The whole yeah. thing is stupid, you know? I mean, American foreign policy is very complicated, I, I feel. And it's like, it, it doesn't really have to be, you know, it could be so simple. You know, it could just, this is the good guy and this is the bad guy or whatever, you know, but instead we have America. We're the bad guys, dude. That's what it is. That's yeah. why it's so confusing is the bad guys are going around all the time, finding people that they can smear and demonize and attack. And, and look, Gaddafi and Saddam. I mean, these guys are bad guys. The Ayatollah, there's nothing really nice to say about these guys, but it's just, that doesn't give our side the right to demonize them and attack them and intervene. And from the other side's point of view, it's the Americans. You know, I met a guy who was from the uh, Caribbean island, um, from the Bahamas, mm -hmm. um, shortly after September 11th. And this was before Bush had even started doing anything. It was just, he was already talking crazy. It was like during the anthrax attacks, like just, we only just barely started bombing Afghanistan. 
Hmm. But he was talking about there's Al Qaeda in 60 countries and we're doing regime change. We're fighting and standing against evil and you're with us or you're against us and all of this stuff. And this guy was saying to me like, man, have you guys gone completely crazy? Like you have no ability at all to see yourself, you know? So this is a guy who, you know, it's not like we we're attacking the Bahamas in the war on terrorism or anything like that. It's not like he was caught up in it. It's not like he was from Yemen or from Jordan or something and giving me like a, a close perspective from the Middle East point of view. He's just giving me a point of view from just offshore from here, right? Just, just right over there from here. Yeah. And going, man, you guys are going nuts. Just <laughs> look at yourselves. And I'm like, Hey, you ain't got to tell me, pal. You know, I'm a George Bush hater. I hate him back when he was the governor. I don't know. But um, but yeah, like it was that obvious. It was that obvious that, you know, you guys, at least the people in charge, you really think you're all that and that you've got your act together and that you can do all these things to everyone else. But you're just wrong. You're totally in the wrong. The only people you're fooling are your own selves, not anybody else. You know, and that is the that's the sad part of it. Well. No, that's not the sad part of it. It's a sad part of it is that, you know, they dress up all of this regime change policy in our libertarian philosophy, you know, at the core of Americanism is the natural rights theory of the Declaration of Independence. Everybody is born naturally free. And if you don't like it, I'll shoot you. That's what the American creed. And so they go around killing people, acting like the British Empire. Not like the USA, acting like the British, but calling it the red, white, and blue, calling it freedom and democracy, calling it self-government and capitalism, yeah. calling it liberty. And then so they take our ideology and they drag it through the mud and they make the world think that, oh, come on, freedom. That's just a bullshit slogan for the Americans stealing from you, getting away with doing something to you. You know, and it, it discredits the entire enlightenment philosophy of individualism. And you see the reaction to it where people are like, look, if freedom means one, you're coming to kill me. And two, you have absolutely disgusting smut in your PG-13 movies, then what's the good of freedom? Yeah. I'd rather have my local authoritarian system that's in line with my values. That's the choice the people of Afghanistan have been making for the last 20 years. They would rather have the austerity of the Taliban, where at least it's fair, than the corruption of the American way. Well, what does that tell you? We came to give them freedom and democracy, and they told them, we hate you. Leave us alone. Yeah. It was because the freedom and democracy we were giving them, it wasn't liberty. It was corruption and violence and warlords and rape and drugs and 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 airstrikes so how in the world are they supposed to accept that you know i told this story before um i think it's telling it was from like 2003 or 4 um and it was uh, sean hannity interviewing a right-wing christian preacher who'd just gotten back from asia from i guess you know china japan wherever he was going i don't know if you can proselytize in china um uh, maybe it was in Southeast Asia, wherever he was going. But he's on the Sean Hannity show. And he he had been a regular guest to Hannity in the past. Hmm. And 
So they were like friends and it was like, oh, you're just back from your tour around the world where you're out there doing missionary work and stuff. Welcome back to the show. How's it going? And the guy totally blows Hannity's mind and goes, we got to stop the war in Iraq, Sean. And Sean Hannity's like, what? And he goes, yeah, man, I just got back from whatever Thailand or wherever it was uh, in South Asia. And everywhere I go, people tell me, Jesus, that's the religion of the Americans that invaded Iraq. Hmm. It. And so here they had tied the the terror war, not just had they tied it to our philosophy of the Declaration of Independence, but they tied it all up with Jesus's name, too. So now here's a Protestant minister who, in the scheme of things, doesn't give a damn about America compared to Jesus, his savior. Forget it. Right. That's God. Nations are nations. God is God. Okay. And so here he has a mandate from Jesus, he believes, to go and tell the good word to the benighted people of the world who don't know of this religion. That's his mandate. And everywhere he goes, people tell him, go to hell, get the hell away from me. I don't want anything to do with Jesus who told George Bush to murder all those innocent Iraqis. That's the way that they hear it. And he tells this to Sean Hannity. That like, oh my God, Sean, when it comes to the order of importance of values, Jesus is more important than the Republican Party and the United States Marine Corps. And Sean Hayes like, okay, nice talking to you. Click, gone, bye, and never had him on again. And that was the end of that, of course. You know, but, and that was way back then. That was way back then. But it just goes to show, right? It's, it's no different than if I'm wearing a whatever brand name on my shirt and I go beat up some innocent guy in the park and you put me on Twitter. Look, everybody cancel him. Right. He works for AJ's repair company. Let's all, you know, call his boss and get him fired. You know, it's that same kind of thing where the people of the world see America acting like a dick and they go, hey, we remember last year and we, we and and we resent it. And, and look, we're just bullshitting here, sitting in comfortable rooms on the microphone about it and whatever. But the reality of the level of violence and grief and destruction and just burning and torture and murder and hate that has come out of the last 20 years of American instigated war in the Middle East. It ain't fucking funny. It's an absolute calamity for these people. We created a sectarian war. People, oh, Sunni, Shia, always killing each other. Well, no, not really. I mean, they had their divisions in Iraq. It was one of the most intermixed societies, even though the government was dominated by the Sunni Arabs. It was a very mixed society. They weren't in the middle of a sectarian war. We caused a sectarian war there. America caused a sectarian war by helping the supermajority completely obliterate the power of the 20% minority who are now completely screwed and who will continue to fling suicide bombers at Baghdad for the rest of our lifetimes, right? And this is the whole war in Syria is the outgrowth of that. Riyadh versus Tehran. And, um, and it's all because of what America did not have to do, but did anyway. Well, um, we'll go ahead and end it there, Scott. Uh, <laughs> really, that's a good hour and a half of rant and raving for you, huh? Yeah, yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Scott. Uh, you can go ahead and um, let everyone know what you're up to and where you're at and all that good stuff. Sure. Um, well, I'm at antiwar.com and scotthorton.org and libertarianinstitute.org. Well, let me slow down. Antiwar.com is the most important project in the world. Please check it out every single day. 
Um, and I don't take credit for everything that's going on there. I'm just the editorial director and I do my show and I work, but there is a whole great team there. And then scotthorton.org is my site. I got 5,300 interviews for you going back to 2003 um, from just after the taking of Baghdad in April 2003 is the start of the show there. Mm-hmm. Um, and you sign up for the podcast feed and all the different sources of the audio there and all that. Um, and then is the Libertarian Institute. I'm the director of that. And that's me and the great Sheldon Richmond, Pete Canones, and uh, Kyle Anzalone. And we got a great group of podcasters there too, again, including Pete and Kyle but also uh, Keith Knight and Tommy Salmons too. And uh, I write on the blog there all day. We got great articles, uh, uh, great essays, uh, you know, regular writers, um, Kim Robinson and uh, Bradley Thomas and uh, Jim Bovard and a lot of great writers. And um, I'm really excited to tell you that uh, we're putting out a book of uh, Sheldon Richmond's essays and it'll probably be coming out next week. I guess we need to, I should have it like all done on Monday and be able to order the proofs and we'll have to check out the proofs. And so it might be another week, um, to get, you know, me and Sheldon both need proofs to look at, but in, in another week or so we'll be putting out this book and it's so good, Shane, you're going to love it, man. It's called what social animals owe to each other. And as you know, it's just the non-aggression principle. That's it. Do we owe each other the respect of nonviolence, but that's it. And then, but that's okay because check it out. As long as everybody's free, then everything else works out just fine. It's called the free market. It works great. And what it is, essentially, it's attacking the left from the left. It's essentially saying, if you're a good leftist, you ought to stop being a leftist and be a libertarian. Because libertarianism is what provides the the ends that you say that you desire. Um, It is really liberty that works. Hmm. And not uh, social engineering and central planning and engineering of economies and so forth. And it's the great Sheldon Richmond. And man, he's so great. And it's just, and I'm telling you, I read the whole thing and I just, man, it's so goddamn good. Uh, everybody's going to love it. It's what social animals owe to each other. And that'll be coming out in probably a week or so from now. And and um, check out all the books at libertarianinstitute.org slash books. Yeah, your book, Fool's Aaron, is, uh, is great. <laughs> yep, I got the Ron Paul book. I got... Um, you can see right next to the Ron Paul book there. I see right there above my thumb. That is a Will Griggs book, No Quarter. And then over here, we got also, um, there's a couple others of mine. And then this is uh, Coming to Palestine, Sheldon's previous book. Um, he's uh, raised as a Zionist Jew and is now totally anti-Zionism and for hmm. uh, one state, equal rights solution for the Palestinians. And all that is an excellent book. Absolutely the libertarian case about Palestine for anyone who wants to know. Coming to Palestine by Sheldon Richmond. Very proud to uh, help publish and produce these books, man. So good job, Ted. All right. Well, um, go ahead and end it there. And then, you know, we can blabber on for another who knows how long after I'm done here. It's getting hot in here, though. I got to turn the AC back. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Scott. And uh, take care. 